This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider podcast, brought to you by EastLansingInfo.news in cooperation with Impact 89 Radio. And we're excited today to be bringing outgoing Mayor Stevens of East Lansing to be talking with us today about how he got to be mayor, what he's done as mayor, and what he's going to be doing as he leaves the city um, in terms of his mayorship. And I have with me also Jack Harrison. Jack has been doing an internship with Eli this summer. He's an MSU journalism student, and he's been reporting especially on city council issues. So he's going to be joining us and also bringing the student perspective, bringing the ASMSU perspective in this conversation with Mayor Stevens. So thank you both for being with me today. Thanks for having me. So just to start with an introduction for folks who don't know how Aaron Stevens came to be mayor, he was elected to city council in 2017. He beat out incumbent Susan Woods. And in 2019, in November, he was elected to be mayor pro tem. And what that is in East Lansing is essentially the substitute mayor. Ruth Byer at that point was elected to be the mayor. Part of the reason that that happened was in that election, Jesse Gregg and Lisa Babcock were both voted in overwhelmingly with 63 and 64% of the vote. And the next third person in the vote system to be seated was Mark Meadows, who won only by maybe about two votes over Eric Altman. So there's a big gap between those um, runners. And so it seemed to be a pretty clear message that somebody... Uh, else perhaps should be taking the mayor pro tem and the mayor position other than outgoing Mayor Meadows at that point. So uh, so Stevens was elected to be mayor pro tem. And then rather out of the blue, Ruth Beyer and Mark Meadows both resigned on July 14th, 2020, after Aaron Stevens and Jesse Gregg and Lisa Babcock voted to end the longtime contract of the city attorney, Tom Yaden. And it really was out of the blue. You could tell by the look on Aaron's face, <laughs> which he has said his family has sort of turned into a gif. Um, he he then called for a break in the meeting and he came back and functioned as mayor and just kept going. And he was facing um, not only having to take over the position of the mayor, but doing so in the middle of a pandemic, which made for a pretty um, tumultuous and exciting start to the mayorship. So Yeah, it was rose- super fun. <laughs> He rose to the mayor's chair. Jesse Gregg was then elected mayor pro tem. And Stevens just announced this past week that he'll be resigning as of August 11th, which is the day after the next city council meeting, at which point Jesse Gregg will become mayor and someone else will be elected to mayor pro tem. Stevens is leaving uh, East Lansing in order to pursue a master's degree in public policy at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. So, uh, Aaron, welcome. And uh, anything you want to say just about that moment when they resigned and you suddenly became mayor? Um, No, the God honest truth is, uh, and you can look back at the recording, too. um, I believe the city manager uh, looked at me and and on the next item, he said, either Mayor Stevens or your (laughs) honor or something. um, Do you want to continue? And I said verbatim, um, please don't call me that. And so that, that, that's how, that, that's where I was at the time. Um, it was I, quite I, a moment. Yes. And, you know, in the midst of resigning Ruth Byer, um, threw kind of a tantrum and ended up denouncing you and denouncing me and denouncing Eli. So it was, it was quite a moment, but you took over from there. So Jack, do you want to ask our first question for Aaron? 
Absolutely. So um, as you know, Mayor, East Lansing City Council members are paid about $8,000 a year, and the mayor is paid a bit more, around $10,000 per year. So does the low pay that council members receive influence, you think, who can run um, and serve on council? And did this impact your decision uh, to leave now rather than um, deferring a year? Yeah, so this is actually a really good question, and I, you know, uh, time being of the essence here, I won't get into into too much of my personal situation, but yeah, it is. And the truth is that you know, with any position like this, um, and I and I will say, I mean, the the salary in effect makes this a volunteer position. Um, and I'm not saying that that's not a, you know a good amount of money in terms of like uh, a little bit of help, but it's it's not to the extent of the amount of work that you put into the job. Um, and, you know, I understand that this past year was a lot different than other years. So I was doing arguably a lot more uh, than previous mayors had done in terms of time commitment, um, just because of dealing uh, with the pandemic, um, understanding the political climate that we, we were in, in terms of uh, police reform and kind of getting things on board with that, finding a new city attorney, appointing council members, all of that took a lot of time. Um, and so the thing that I'll say is, you know, I'm t- I was 24 when I was mayor um, and I was able because I had saved a good amount of money to quit my job at that point and be mayor full time. Now, what I want folks to imagine is for a salary of around nine thousand dollars, somebody else who has children or who has a job or other responsibilities being able to do that is probably not in the cards. And so if you want diverse types of people in my seat or in city council member seats to the point where they are they are really doing the work and I and I and I'll I'll caveat it and say maybe city council members I mean you really can um can balance that in a, in a good way but when you're in a seat like the mayor's and there's those extra responsibilities and there's a little bit more of an expectation of you to to be putting this first as you should um, it's difficult. And I think that it ends up pushing more people that are retired into that role rather than maybe even people that you want to see that are going through the same issues that they're dealing with on the council table. Yeah. I think you've been earning, I would estimate about a dollar five an hour. While yeah. you've been mayor. You know, we used to, Jesse Gregg, before she ran for council, worked for Eli and I thought she was pretty underpaid then, but she's way more underpaid now in terms of her public service yeah. work. So so you've decided to pursue going to school for government. We don't want to take up a lot of time with this, but just tell us briefly, why did you decide to do that? And are you planning to return to East Lansing later? Are you planning to go into politics? Yeah, I think I'll be back in East Lansing. And this is this is home. All of our families here. Um, you know, I think that it'll be good on a personal level to have some experience in, in different areas uh, and to kind of gain that, uh, you know, learn a little bit more from from folks and from different backgrounds too. I think that I'm always learning. And so uh, that'll be nice. But um, yeah, I, I decided to do it one because it was my dream program, but two, um, my goal has really always been to just be in a position to help people. Uh, as you just explained, I certainly didn't do it for the money. So um, I, you know, I think that the Harvard Kennedy schools program, especially um, tends to yield really great, great results for not only the connections to do good in the world, um, but also guidance on how to, um, so I'm not really planning on doing the whole, you know, running for a higher office and then a higher office after that. That was never really my goal. Uh, my goal was just to serve my community in some type of way. Uh, and it turned out to be the mayor's position, but that was not the intention originally. So 
I hope that I did all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sure. And before we get into some of more of the issues, as Alice mentioned, I'm one of the student representatives in ASMSU. I know you did an event or Zoom with them encouraging MSU students to run for council. So could you tell us more about this? Yeah, sure. So there's kind of always been this debate in East Lansing, um, you know, should you have somebody that, you know, is always a student that's on council or, you know, what, what, where is the student representation coming from on the council? And I do think it's important to have that voice. Um, obviously, I ran for office when I was a student because I think that, you know, students during certain types of the year make up a plurality of the population, right? So you're talking about a lot of people that might feel underrepresented. Um, but I also think that actually running for the position and talking to the people that you're going to represent and having to make that call to really get out into the community is also very important. So I think that that, that aspect of running for office in the East Lansing community is vital. Um, so I'm, I've never really been too on board with having kind of like a permanent position on the council for it, because I do think that running for that seat is really important to do uh, to make sure that you're getting a full perspective of the community that you're about to represent. Um, that all being said, um, I do encourage younger people, especially MSU students to run in the area because it is a perspective that's needed. And if you don't have that perspective on the council, you know, you're going to have to have either a really, really active ASMSU that's calling into every single meeting and knows every issue. Um, or you're going to have to have some really responsive council members that care enough to, to do the research and say, okay, how is this going to affect the student population specifically? Um, and either of those situations work. Um, I just think that having, you know, a younger person on the council in a city that has a lot of young people is never a bad thing. And we should remind people that uh, the last available census, the 2010, showed that East Lansing had a population of about 50,000 people and three fifths of those are students. So it's not like we have a population that is minority students. So speaking also to some of the student issues, let's get into some of the specific issues you've dealt with on council. Ordinance 1500 was passed recently um, with your leadership, and your aim was to protect renters by stopping landlords from being able to show or to rent units to prospective new tenants really far in advance of the lease period. It passed three to two. Lisa Babcock and Ron Bacon were against, and Dana Watson was in favor. And then Jesse Gregg became the deciding vote. And we understand that her vote was sort of um, gotten through in part because a provision was added saying that if the Lansing City Council and the board of the Meridian Township didn't pass essentially the same legislation by August 10th, making it regional, the East Lansing law would simply never take effect and it would expire. So we're wondering, what are the chances from what you're hearing at this point that Lansing and Meridian Township are going to pass these laws? And are you planning to try to extend the expiration date of Ordinance 1500? Yeah, there's some interest on the council uh, we might look to extend, but, um, you know, we've been having conversations with uh, Meridian Township and and the city of Lansing folks, even Lansing City Council members for months on this issue. Uh, and the truth is, we've gotten a lot of support, um, just not gotten a lot of action on, on the table. So, you know, it's it's a difficult process. And the truth is that for for me, at least, um, I didn't want to put our market at a disadvantage, especially as we're going through a lot of changes. So it really did need to be regional on, on my end. Um, and even without that revision, I was going to be pushing this on the on the regional side. Um, but making the revision to to basically make it mandatory was was, I think, the, the quintessential factor uh, to making sure that we had the support to pass it on this council. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'm still optimistic. But as the timeline grows smaller and smaller and, you know, we're, we're seeing some 
talk in committees, but not an introduction on the floor, then yeah, I think that either the conversation is going to need to be, are we going to extend this to a certain amount or are we going to maybe try this again sometime in the future? Got it. Thanks. Definitely. And now do you think, Aaron, who do you think might be appointed um, to fill your vacancy? Could you tell us more um, about uh, how you're feeling about that? We should explain it's just going to be for a couple of months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be about for about four regular meetings and two discussion only meetings. Um, if that, and, and yeah, so I think I really hope that it's somebody that's either former elected. Um, certainly not somebody that's running for election this year. Um, because I, I do think that that kind of implies that they're, they're choosing the next person to, to win. Um, which is not necessarily true, but I, I think it still does uh, send an important message uh, to not have it. Somebody that's running for election this year. And I hope, yeah, it's somebody that's, that's former elected so they can just jump in. Because, um, again, it's such, a, it's such a short time frame that really you're just going to need to have somebody with that experience there. So some names we've heard being batted around are Shanna Draheim, Diane Gaderis, uh, Kathy Boyle, Doug Juster. You want to give us any hints? Um, you know what? I, I am still mad at Shanna for not running for reelection. So, you know, if, if she helps me out here, then I'm, I'm more than happy with that. But um, I think that's going to be the future council's decision. Um, I've certainly, uh, you know, heard those names as well. Uh, and I think that, you know, a couple of them might be interested. A couple of them might not be. Um, but I'm just hoping that it's somebody like that. I think that all of those folks have done really incredible things for the city and, and they'd be great on the council if they got there. We should mention that right now the application form is open for that. However, I can't imagine that the council is going to go through quite as formal and extensive a process as you did last year when you named Bacon and Watson. No, no. And I hope not. I mean, really, this should be a seamless transition to make sure that, you know, we can kind of get through the next couple of months and then move forward because the election's going to happen and, and the city's going to be picking who's going to be there. So. so let's talk a little bit about the Center City District project, which just for people who are not familiar with it is the project that puts together um, Newman Lofts, which is above the new parking garage and also the landmark apartments that's above Target. And you've been subject to some criticism for the handling of that partly for the way the bonds were refunded, but mostly for not fining the developers for the illegal rentals and Newman Lofts. Newman Lofts, by agreement with the city, is supposed to be restricted to age 55 plus. Uh, Council discovered that, in fact, the developers were renting units to people under that age. And also some local businesses were unhappy with the choice to close part of Albert Avenue, specifically for the restaurant seating expansion of the Center City District side of the street which they felt like favored those businesses. So I wonder if you would talk to your approach to the whole Center City District project. Do you see it as special because of the financial involvement of the city? It's a public-private partnership or because of its location? Or do you feel like you've pretty much treated it like other projects? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a lot of good questions, and I'll I'll try to answer everyone that I can. Um, You know, in terms of the uh, 55 and up, uh, you know, and again, I, I... try to make decisions that are that are just the best for the community. And, you know, if you if you hit the mark, great. If you if you kind of fall a little bit short every once in a while, you know, I think that's kind of part of the job. But I, I think that in this situation, our goal is compliance um, and our goal really needs to be compliance because that is the intention of what they're going for. And I think that, you know, getting into uh, fining or a legal battle. Well, I know that some people in the community really did want us to, to go down that route. And, yeah, I did definitely take some criticism uh, for the way that we approached it. Um, our goal needs to be, okay, this is 55 and up and we got to get them to agree to that uh, and hold true to it. Um, and I think having that record of, of really making sure and solidifying that is going to be helpful for the future if this really ever comes up again, which I, which I doubt that it does at this point. 
but you know, I, I mean, that's, that's me predicting a future that I really can't say. So my goal is compliance. And really, um, what I wanted to see is East Lansing move away from what I think was a previous iteration of, okay, if you're doing something wrong in the city, then, then we're going to get compliance by fine, or we're going to get compliance by, um, you know, I mean, an arresting you. Sure, yep. I'm sure you can, you can arresting mention a couple of examples. Um, and you know, I remember being in a room, right. Where I was basically like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, and, and why, you know, why are we, why are we yeah. attacking people that are in our community that, you know, sure they, but they might be out of compliance with something, but our goal is compliance. Our goal isn't, you know, we're going to show them what's what, right. And I think that that's kind of a, a bad approach because you represent people and I get that, you know, it's, it's a big developer. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit tougher to make that distinction, but if you set the precedent to say, okay, our goal is compliance. Our goal is not to attack people. Our goal is not to put people in a position where, you know, they have to hire attorneys and they have to, you know, get something done just because they put a fence in their house, right? All of that should be the the philosophy of East Lansing. So that was really my ideology there. And I get that it's it's a little bit uncomfortable because it was a big developer and that was a very public display of that. Um, but the truth is that that's where I want to see East Lansing go is from compassion, not necessarily from um, authoritative compliance, right? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because- yeah. In particular, in the neighborhoods, you know, where there is the tensions between homeowners and longtime student rentals, where it, you know, it, it's nice to say in theory that it'd be good to have compassion and compliance, but by the time you get that, there's a new set of renters every time right. in these houses, and so I think it, it's going to be interesting to see, especially how that plays out if the state does decide to pass the law essentially outlawing outlawing the overlay districts in East Lansing and allowing Airbnbs in East Lansing. There's going to, I think, be a big question about not just compliance, but enforcement in terms of getting the city to pay attention to where the right. law is being broken. Right. No, yeah, I, I think that I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, it's a balancing act. So I think there's going to be there's probably going to be some some unintended consequences from that type of approach, too. Um, and, you know, I think that you kind of adjust as it goes on and future councils will have those discussions. I did want to answer kind of the other question that you, that you had in there. Uh, in regards to the closure of the street. Um, I will say it's a lot on location, um, but myself and Adam Cummins actually, I mean, so my goal this summer was to see that type of seating and that type of outdoor experience everywhere in the downtown to the point where I was talking to business owners throughout the, throughout the early months and even now about ideas that they could create, right? Like how do you, you know, how does Ellis Teco use, you know, the Albert Street or uh, Albert Street Plaza, right? Or how do we how do we use the Rivs uh, back alley over there that they use for parking now for outdoor seating, right? How do we expand Peanut Barrel into front of into the front of MSU FCU, and how do we get Campbell's Market into a place where they can utilize, you know, maybe like a, a wine bar kind of function in that little alley? All of that is part of the conversation. So I know that the Albert Street was really public, but but the God honest truth is, my goal was to kind of use this this past year as the excuse to try a lot of crazy things in the downtown. Um, and we got some, and it, and it takes, you know, business owners that also, you know, unfortunately sometimes they have to go through the state for approvals and sometimes, you know, you have to kind of take that, uh, take that time to, to put the money in. But I mean, we put grant programs in place to try and make it happen too. Uh, and I'm hoping this is just kind of the beginning. Right. So, it's, yes, it starts with Albert Street. And I, and I understand that those are some new businesses that are that are, you know, helped out by that. But really, if we establish that in East Lansing in the summers, um, you're doing outdoor seating and you can go into the right of way and and the city's going to help out a little bit with it, too. 
um, you're going to not just see that there. You're going to see it everywhere. And that was really my goal this summer, too. And unfortunately, we, we didn't hit the mark on a couple of places and a couple of ideas that I thought would have been really, really cool um, just because of, I think, some state approval processes, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I hope that, that that changes for the next year. Uh, and, you know, uh, tavern licenses are, are accrued and, and we, we get it done uh, in, in different areas in the downtown, too. So. Yeah, you know, we've been thinking about it, Eli, doing a piece called Thank You Pandemic, which is about yeah. The, oh, yeah. the, the good things that came out of this. Yeah, silver linings, yeah. The outdoor spaces, including the improved relationship between you and MSU, well, yeah, the absolutely. city and MSU, and also including, I mean, at Eli, we did this series called Little Local Joys and another series called Spend Locally. And our feeling is those are both worth keeping going because it's yeah. something that we were sort of forced to do by the pandemic, but it's been a really positive experience for people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. You know, I even remember being a junior uh, this year, just taking my first steps downtown as a freshman um, a couple of years ago. You know, downtown's already looking uh, so much differently. So now I want to shift to some questions sort of about the past. So when you were either mayor or even a council member, is there either one action or problem you regret either, you know, not addressing or taking different steps yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely things that I look back on and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of up in the air about it. I mean, the deer call is one of those things that I always look back on and that vote when I called for a roll call, I always look at it and I, you know, I kind of wince at it a little bit here or there. It was an issue that I just didn't know, you know, a lot about. And what I, my tendency when I don't know something, and I think Alice knows this too, is just to like go talk to people that might know a little bit more or just go talk to the people that I represented. It was just such a passionate issue on both sides of the aisle for it. Um, and both had decent arguments in favor and against uh, that. It was pretty difficult to make that decision. I think that was one of the only decisions that I was on the table, really listening completely openly at that point. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even leaning one direction or another uh, at the point of the meeting. And usually I am and can be swayed. Um, but at that point I really wasn't. So I look back at that and I, you know, maybe, maybe I could have done more preparation or maybe I could have just done more work in the community to get there. Cause it just has such a long history in East Lansing. The, the fact that I was this new, um, kind of didn't give me that background and I probably should have done a little bit more on it. So I think if I look back at that, that that's something there. That was a really tough one too, yeah. because I think, you know, as you said, people had good intentions on all sides, but then also, I mean, the, the call has happened and the deer have not really dropped in numbers, which is right. part of what the city staff were saying would happen. They said that that would be the case, that there would be infill. So it's a really difficult situation. Yeah. You know, I, will, I will say, I think Ruth Byer did have one interesting solution at a council neighborhood president's meeting. That was people were complaining to her about the deer eating the plants and then others uh, were complaining to her about the cats eating the birds. So she thought she could get the deer to eat the cats. <laughs> yeah. It was all the problem. <laughs> oh God, I love Ruth. <laughs> so, far, so far, no success getting the deer to eat the cats. But uh, That's too bad. We'll get there. So to follow up on the other point of that question, Aaron, is there one action or policy um, that you're really proud of that you'll really sort of cherish from your time? Uh, I have a couple um, and I'm going to I'm going to be very short with them because I know I know we want to be we want to get through every question. So um, the disorderly conduct code was, I think, arguably like my my favorite and and best accomplishment on the council besides maybe the police oversight commission and well and managing, I guess, pandemic. That was that was something pretty good, too. But um, 
that was a huge piece of policy. And I actually, I actually talk to a lot of other elected officials that are local, and I tell them that that's really where they should start looking uh, if they want to, you know, change what you've been doing for decades, especially in terms of police reform. Um, it's it's ironic. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, right? The the article that got printed in the City Pulse was East Lansing freeze the nipple, um, which is true. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it, no, that was an Eli. Did they? Oh, that was that was was that Eli? <laughs> oh my God! But I mean, you know, that was the thing that like you know got got pushed out there. But really, I mean, that was a lot of reform. You know there. why we did that was just to get people to read. No, it I know, I know. I, I agree. I mean, I hate to do that, but I totally agree with you. That was a really significant piece of work. And more recently, you also changed another part of the disorderly conduct code to basically stop officers from having the option of arresting somebody for something minor then right. ending up with use of force and then charging the person right. with disorderly conduct. I think that was also a very significant piece of legislation. Right. And, I, and I think that like, you know, criminal justice reform too, it's, I mean, it's all these little things that amount to such a big thing. And so, you know, being able to, to do work on something that significant when you're talking about how many people are going through our own court system with disorderly conduct on the docket is, is, and it's crazy. It's so influential. And so to get that done was awesome. The same thing with the plea bargaining policies that I really had to push before I was even mayor pro tem. And I was just a council member just to explain that, like, we needed to bring these in line with other communities because we were we were putting our own people at a disadvantage to get caught in East Lansing versus others. I mean, that perception isn't just something that people say in the in the region. It was a reality in our policy. And so to yep. change that was yep. really great. Um, and then the last thing I will say, and I, and I know that this is, this is not necessarily something that's direct policy, but our work with MSU to now get them on board with a lot of reform that's happening on their side in terms of off-campus conduct. I mean, again, silver linings to a bad situation, pandemic, but really having the right people in place, even with President Stanley um, being encouraging of it. I am sure he missed a couple of steps here or there that I could talk about, but still being encouraging of the work. Um, and having people like Sue Webster and Janet Lilly being able to be empowered to kind of make some of those changes, you know, Vinnie Gore and, and Aaron Carter now with Fraternity and Sorority Life. A lot of things that we just didn't think were possible four years ago are now happening, yeah. um, which is going to be great for the rest of the East Lansing community in that town gown relation. I think that's right, as long as it gets followed up on. And I think this this yeah. council is pretty committed to that. Yeah. And that was my goal when I ran for office, truthfully, was to bridge that gap. And right. I it, right. it happened in a roundabout way, but hey, I'm I'm happy that it happened. <laughs> it required a pandemic, but hey, yeah. it happened. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I've had the reporting on the election. I've had the opportunity to talk to each candidate about their top issues. So, what do you think? You know, issues still face the city in the next election, Aaron. I mean, I think that you're going to see, you know, um, some reverberation and some effect from the pandemic. That it's not over, and you're definitely going to see. Um, probably some deeper effects over the next couple of years, whether that's budgetary or whether it's still supporting those businesses or, or whether it's our housing market, um, you know, with, with the MSU live on requirement. And I actually think that that's going to affect things as largely as, as people think, but I think it still is going to affect things. Um, and as you see some development in, in some of the surrounding areas, we definitely have to keep an eye on that. Um, but I do think that, you know, our, our downtown is is obviously going to be an issue. The evergreen properties are going to be the big one, I think, should be on people's minds uh, as we go forward. You know, this pandemic kind of halted a lot of the conversations that we were having before. Um, but also, you know, with the current developer, um, those conversations are going to kind of ensue even into the election season. And so uh, I think that that's going to be a big deal and people should be looking out for it. 
So Aaron, we have just about a minute left. Tell us what is the one thing you will miss most about being mayor and what will you not miss? Um, I love East Lansing. East Lansing is the best community to be mayor of very, very plainly. And I know I have a minute, so I'm not going to get into the, all the weeds of it. But when you have this passionate of a community, and when you have this great of a community, um, it, it's easy. It's easy to do. Um, but the last thing that I'm not going to miss about being mayor is I think East Lansing likes to hate itself a little bit a little bit more than other communities. I think that we are at a place where we've done a lot of incredible things. We've done a lot of incredible reform, but we're also just a great community. And we like to talk about ourselves in a, in a derogative way. Um, when in reality, I think we should be proud of everything that we've done. I mean, you look at the past year and what we could have been and what we are now, we should be proud. And it's not, it's not just the council, it's not just the staff, it's the community that pushed for a lot of the stuff that we even got done. Um, and to have a community that passionate and that you know, that willing to change and that willing to to move forward, to, to talk about ourselves uh, from any perspective other than we're a great community to live in and we do some incredible things is is sad to me. And so I really hope that we move away from that and we start being proud of everything that we've accomplished and everything that we're going to do in the future. Well, great. Thank you. On that note, we'll wrap up. Thank you to Mayor Aaron Stevens and Jack Harrison. And for more, go to eastlansinginfo.news. Thanks so much. Thank you. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.